And good morning. Welcome into In Focus News Radio KMAN. I'm Brandon Peoples, Nick McNamara producing things for us here this morning. John Ford joins us here from the Riley County Commission for the hour. We uh, get a chance to chat with our county commissioners uh, once a month, and uh, this is his day. So, John, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to have you sit a little closer to the microphone there. There we go. Uh, It's good to have you on here. How have you been lately? We've been doing pretty good. Um, Staying busy. um, Staying busy. (laughs) <laughs> and staying busy. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so it's kind of that kind of feels like we turned the calendar to April and it just kind of picked up. It it does. It's um the sense of things are a little bit different. Maybe it's a little a little calmer, a little less chaotic, but um definitely not um um not without work to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's been a lot of uh work being done here. I know uh behind the scenes of departments and and such getting ready for the budget, which we'll, we can get into here in a little bit, but uh, you know, I want to start uh, with just kind of the, the fire department. I, I know they're really being challenged right now. The last few days, uh, since well, basically last Wednesday, and uh, that just uh, looks like it's going to continue even as a possibility here today. Yeah, right now, yesterday's fire over in the um, northern part of the county there, um, Baldwin Creek Road. Um, um, it's kind of just a kind of an extension, just kind of off of the fire that was last week. So it's kind of in the kind of the same vicinity there. It did kind of travel over the borders there to Pottawatomie County. So you have several different um, rural and uh, township firefighting agencies working on that. Uh, as of this morning, this was at, at approximately 8:30. Uh, that fire had been about 80% contained. They've had several crews with that fire overnight, just trying to kind of keep it kind of, I guess, still if you can. The winds have died down quite a bit, so that's keeping it from moving. Don't think the sprinkles we're receiving this morning are having much of an effect. So, um, though I'm not hoping for severe weather, I'm not hoping your guys' night's long this evening, but um, I would hope for some rain and we can trade the tornadoes and hail and all the rest of that at a later time. But getting a good two, three inches of rain, maybe even overnight, would be wonderful at this point in time. Uh, our crews have been absolutely amazing. They've been steadfast and just staying after it. Not really for sure the actual general cause of this fire, if it's a rebrand or if another fire was started accidentally or um, maybe with the, the differences in, um, you know, burn bands, non-burn bands, something happened in the midst of that. We're not really for sure. Um, it's been about a five-day difference there, so it's hard to think that it was rekindled just from that, but it is in the same general vicinity. So we'll figure that out afterwards. Obviously, the, the big deal right now is to take care of the said fire. It's about 80% contained. When the skies do clear up, um, as mentioned here at the top of the hour here, um, we are planning a, a helicopter drop. Um, part of this fire is also on Corps of Engineers land, so um, they've got some resources to be able to help with that too, so they can probably go drop a bucket into Tuttle Creek and just go out there and just drop it on on that generalized area to, to help put it out, and then we can come back and kind of backtrack. So, what is uh, I saw that there was like a disaster declaration that had to be issued. From the county standpoint, what, is, what does that do for you guys? It allows us to open up any resources that are available, both from the state and potential federal government, depending on um, the potential emergency. In this particular case, as mentioned, the helicopter drop would be part of those type of resources that that declaration would cover. I do believe the governor has a statewide, that one that was already in place, so it just kind of backs up to that. Um, the process, if that's a secondary question, would be 
Um, if we're not, obviously we don't meet, you know, but Monday and Thursday mornings. So it's kind of hard to just get a declaration. So we do have a resolution in place by state statute that allows for the current chairman uh, to go ahead and sign off on that. And then our next regular business meeting, if necessary, we can go full of the full resolution. And then, you know, if that as, as it's happening right now, uh, in between Monday and Thursday, um, if you need those resources, then they would still be available by resolution. And we sign the full resolution of that emergency declaration at the next business meeting. Okay. So, yeah. That's good that you have that process in place because mm-hmm. then it really kind of streamlines the process. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're particularly a local unit of government, obviously you're, um, you know, your local officials um, aren't there, you know, you know, that nine to five type of schedule. So, yeah, it does give some some leeway to that. And um, we've got good people that can actually, you know, actually devise that and come up with the idea of whether or not we need those resources or don't need those resources and for how long we need those resources. Of course, you know, I, um, I chuckle about this, even though it's not funny, but I think I've spent pretty much the good proportion of my almost three and a half years in office under some form or some multiple form of emergency declarations. I'm really hoping I'm not bad luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, understood. Yeah. And the, boy, both both sides of the pendulum, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Long term, short term, fire, um, flood. Um, once again, let's not hope for the other ones that, you know, of course, it's that time of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could see all modes of. Of things here, and and I know that uh, we've seen officials urging people to have an evacuation plan. I don't doesn't sound like this has covered a lot of ground where there's a lot of houses or anything, but just be prepared. Yeah, you know this one's kind of come up close to a residential side, and we've had one earlier in the year that was kind of in that vicinity. Um, you know, a swift change in wind, as we all know, happens this time of the year, could really make that. Um, a problem. I think the I think the first thing, even before that, is that you need to heed uh, whatever those warnings and, and, and watches. And you know, if we have burn bans in place, just follow them. Um, it, it saves property. It saves lives. It keeps our our, our crews from having to be out there. And um, it's just it's just safe for everybody. And then yeah, the secondary part of that it probably is good to have an evacuation plan for. Um, all types of different emergencies. And I always suggest that everybody sign up for the Everbridge uh, warning system that we have in place. Pottawatomie County has one similar on their side. And you can just go on the website, sign up for that. If you want text, if you want email, multiple emails, gives you a list of all the different type of disasters. If you want to know every traffic accident, every gas main leak, um, it gets pretty specific on there. So it's a good thing to do. Obviously, keep up with your other local media channels, including K-Man and um, and, and TV um, as those things progress. And, yeah, if you need to, be ready to uh, be ready to vacate um, as quickly as possible. And typically when those scenarios happen, you don't you need to plan for more than just maybe a day or a night. Um, you probably need to plan for 72 to 96 type of hours because it's going to take a while for them to go through and fully investigate and figure out what, what has happened, what those causes are and what those losses are. So, you know, um, plan for a little bit of a long term at that point in time. You know, I get those Everbridge notifications. I'm, I have to ask this because it's been happening a lot. I've been getting a lot of messages lately, as probably everyone else has. But the messaging's changed a little bit. I know there's been some days where uh, some a burn ban may not get issued till late in the day. What, what's up with that? It, it has to do with basically the wind and the humidity conditions. Um, those, um, particularly the wind. You know, if you'll notice, yesterday they had a they. 
we still need to be able to burn this type of time of the year for for obvious reasons but um when the wind shifts or the humidity comes down or there's a change in those particular variables then you know you may have a short window where if you can get a small burn in or we can do kind of our controlled burns and get those done and taken care of then when the wind and stuff shifts we've kind of tried to narrow it down to that it's based off of meteorology it's like a lot of things not exact science but um you know um i think we've been okay with that like i said this particular fire wasn't i don't think it was because of one of those i think it may have been something that was kind of proceeding from last week it could get confusing particularly if you're you know working or on a time schedule and need to do that but you know you know we're trying to give everybody the opportunity to, to get those done because we know how crucial it is to the environment and nature and everything else this time of the year but we also have to be safe with it and it's just a careful and delicate balance of all those things so yeah um I, every now and again, it, one of those will come very early in the morning or very late in the morning. I don't know how you want to necessarily say that, but sometimes they'll wake me up. Um, um, this time of the year, I kind of know what they are. But, um, and you know, this time of the year, too, I've kind of gotten um, conditioned to listen to sirens. Um, and I kind of know sirens now, you know, I know if it's fire or if it's ambulance or if it's police, you know, that's not something I never would have thought I'd been able to do, but I can pick up on that now. And yesterday it was surely fire. So, yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I was listening at the Pottawatomie County Commission meeting yesterday. They were having some, they mentioned some communications issues in the Northwest part of Pottawatomie County. I wonder if Riley County has had any issues with, uh, radios not Working problem. You guys had an upgrade, though, yeah, so that shouldn't uh, be an issue. Uh, gosh, I hope not for as much money as we spend on communications. Um, no, um, I don't think we, we have, at least amongst the emergency management. I think um, we updated the towers, we updated the software, we updated the systems, and then, yeah, there was a transfer of radios. I haven't heard um, – you know, every now and again there might be a bleep or something on the on one of the channels, but that's a pretty easy fix. So that's not a hardware issue. Uh, I haven't heard of any of that. In fact, um, last Thursday when our emergency management and fire chief director uh, Russell Stuckey was giving our um, kind of an update on that in the morning, you could hear the radio kind of going kind of going on the side there. And um, so I think it's that part's working well. I mean, that's kind of an expanded question of how we're going to deal with those type of communications for that region, um, for that reason, regionally, um, that's a discussion that we'll probably all have to have somewhere down the road. But, um, I think we got the infrastructural part of it in training, those sort of things maybe come up along the way too. But to my knowledge, we haven't had any issues on that, at least on that part. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, and you know, when you get into that area, you're, you really have kind of three inches. You got Riley, you got Pottle. I mean, you got the, the, the what the core of engineers right or yeah they would be a part of that too gary county would probably if you're talking just the, the full flint hills um would also could potentially be part of that because part of uh, fort riley you know kind of falls into that it's a very small section and then you know you got core of engineer property over across the way at milford and so yeah there's a lot of intertwining there um i don't know if we've begun to kind of unravel that scenario at this point in time but you know, as we as a county work on emergency management, emergency communications and infrastructure, um, I would naturally assume that's got to be part of the part of a dialogue at some point in time. Yeah. All right. Nine seventeen here at News Radio K. Man, we'll take our first break on the program. We'll take your phone calls if you got them at five three seven thirteen fifty. In focus continues in a moment here on K Man. We're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. We're talking with Riley County Commissioner John Ford on the program. And uh, 
not quite into uh, budget season yet, but that's coming pretty soon because I think the what the new fiscal year starts in late 2022. Yeah, usually we kind of mirrors the state on that one that starts on July 1st. So I guess we're moving in from one fire into another one, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to look a little different this year. Um, as you know, the passage of SB 13, or commonly now known as uh, the revenue neutral rate, has kind of expanded our uh, budget cycle and um, the entire calendar. So normally we kind of start talking, start setting some baselines, start setting some guidance for department heads, um, usually accept um, – outside agency requests and around that time and there's a process that goes along with that it's a little bit more elongated um and was last year too and more than likely will be this year as well um like i said we usually start in march and we're usually done with it usually just right before august um it'll probably extend a little bit more into the fall so it'll probably be that you know just labor day ish um maybe just right thereafter and it's uh, fully allowable with the uh, with the new process, particularly if you're going to have to have open public hearings for um, the increased um, increase rate on that. So, um, you know, we ever, I think both the League of Municipalities as well as KAC, the Kansas Association of Counties, um, all kind of said, even if you weren't having those last year, just go through the process, kind of kind of get familiar with it, because the reality is, is your you know one or more of those entities are going to have to do that at some point in time. So they kind of went through that process. That part should be a little bit easier. I think getting everybody kind of used to that expanded calendar, though, may be a little bit of a challenge. And probably the second part of that is, is if you plan on holding those budget hearings, um, you have to send notice out, and there's not really a probably a solid and convenient way of doing that um, when you you know anytime you receive something from the county um, when it comes tax related you just automatically think it's taxes in this case it's just um, a hearing of public um, for a public hearing and yeah I, I don't know how that one's going to look like yet um, we'll get a lot of questions a lot of feedback a lot of phone calls on that I'm sure um, that's another one of those entities that'll be part of this process this year and um, that goes for any entity that um, decides to have that public hearing so you know cities um, counties um, school districts are exempt from that at least for the moment anyway um, but if you have capital outlay um, certain townships have to fit a couple of different requirements that's part of it if you have cemetery boards sewer boards water districts um, there's, there's, there's a list of those. Um, fortunately, most of VARs outside of that, and fire, that was the other one, fire. Um, fire did go over last year, and we had to have a special hearing for that as well as the um, actual budget budget. So um, the good news with that is, you know, you can schedule those kind of back-to-back-to-back on the same day. So if you had four of them, you can do them. You can't do them all together. They have to be separate for that separate entity for that separate time. And you have to go through that process of opening that public hearing up and allowing the public um, to talk about that or to voice concerns or uh, whatever their their thoughts are on that matter. And um, you have to do them one by one. And then you can go through the rest of that budgetary process. I guess if you have a lot of them, you might choose to do that over two days. I guess that's okay. Um, like I said, that's one of those things that we're still just kind of fumbling through to see how it works. Not 100% for sure if the legislature, when it comes back into session, maybe doesn't tweak a thing. You know, that's always possible, too. So um, won't leave that one out, but don't know that there isn't going to be anything at this point in time. But still could happen between now and the, the end of set, uh, legislative session in Topeka. Well, I know that it seems like at least the last couple of years, the department heads have mostly – 
kept their budgets pretty uh, in sync. You don't see anything changing here this year, do you? Um, you know, I think the biggest factor this year just so far is cost. Mm. And it's the cost of services. It's the cost of equipment. It's just cost. And, and, you know, it's all attached to inflation and several of those other things. Um, there's several of our departments that even kind of getting into the – just out of the first quarter and into the second quarters already struggling with that. You know, we – Typically, department heads and just overall through the budget and finance committee kind of keep that kind of gap in there. You know, it's usually two to three percent, but you know, when it jumps as high as seven to ten percent at this point in time, you really can't offset that. So I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. I do think you have to take that into consideration. Obviously, personnel um, challenges, uh, not just with getting personnel, but what are those salary ranges? What are those things? Those those two topics are going to be largely uh, largely discussed and debated through this process throughout um, the rest of 2022. Well, we see the city tonight going to do a, a pay study. Do you think uh, will we see something like that at the county level? Right now, what we have done is we're we're looking at some things internally first. Um, I feel like, and and, I, and actually, I've got pretty good consensus on this that. Uh, we're going to form a committee, an internal committee, kind of look at some things internally, see, you know, if we, can f- if we know that we have some challenges and we know some things that we need to deal with, so my opinion that you don't need to get the professional services to do that, where you need to get those and incorporate those is when you have those that you just can't figure out, but you still need, you know, you still need some guidance. And that's still a possibility. It's, it's not off the table. I just think, you know, if we know that, you know, the first maybe two to four steps of our pay scale are off and way off or no longer applicable, then we should be able to sit down, analyze that, understand that challenge, and then try to figure out how to solve it. And if we can't, then I think that's when you bring that in here. Because, you know, many entities spend, you know, six digits plus in some instances. And I don't know what the city spent on theirs, but I know it's pretty comprehensive, so it's probably close to that. But, yeah, I... I, I wanted. I think we want to try to look at some things internally. I think we got some good people that can analyze some things and come up with some some solvent ways of kind of moving forward. And then, you know, obviously um, there'll probably be some things that we may have to consult out separately just to kind of fill in the gaps. So it's coming. I, I think it's coming for everybody. Um, we'll be discussing that same thing during Monday's law board meeting with RCPD. Um, they put one of those in place well before – um, the pandemic um, came into place, so it kind of elongated that for them. Um, that's just kind of where we're at. Mm. Uh, and I think everybody's kind of, whether you're on the public side or the private side, is having to have those conversations and dialogue and trying to figure out what those next steps are and, and what direction to go in. Well, we see a lot of folks working uh, you know, with personnel, struggling to hire what do you have any specific areas where there's a bigger hole than others right now? Yeah, we do. Um, public works is a mm-hmm. uh, big one right now. Um, as of yesterday, I think they had five positions. That may not be. I think about that. I, I think there was five positions. Um, one person is fixing to retire, um, so there there could be another one. One's going to stay on long enough. Um, into June, but, you know, we need to feel that. And I don't think that even accounts for some seasonal employment that, quite honestly, I don't know that we're going to be able to probably hire. 
Um, the clerk's office is another one of those. It seems like we have one person move on and then we get somebody hired and then somebody else is moving on. That's been kind of consistent there throughout the entire year. We have some customer service positions um, at the entry level in the treasurer's office. Um, that's been kind of a real struggle. They've moved some people up, you know, as well into those two and, and three ranges, but still at the bottom, we're just not being able to fill those back in. I know uh, the health department's been trying in vain to get a clinical supervisor um, in place since the back half of last year. There's a couple other positions open in that framework as well. And I know in EMS, they've struggled really hard to get um, the PRNs and kind of that frontline paramedic um, help there. And, and I don't know if it's just not there. I don't know if it's uh, salary. I don't know if it's just uh, fatigue from the pandemic. It's just kind of, um, and maybe it's a combination of all those things. I'm not really for sure, but yeah, there's, there's challenges there. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of wonder if at some point, we, if these challenges persist, because it's, it's not just a rally kind of problem. This no. is happening all over the place. Yeah. Well, we, do you think that, uh, Maybe an idea would be to just maybe go to a four-day work week to kind of help. We're actually doing that in public works. We started that earlier in the year. Um, The parks department is kind of doing a hybrid of that. Some people don't want to work the four tens. um, So they've got a couple that are working five eights and then working four tens. But public works has shifted to that. Now, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that'll last forever, particularly when you get into the fall and the winter, when you're kind of using as much of the kind of daylight in that scenario and then everybody gets an extra day off to do whatever it is that they do. Um, I asked about that the other day, as a matter of fact, and Mm. was told that it's working pretty well at this point in time. Um, To shift to that entire model in all those departments will take a lot of work, particularly in the customer service-based ones. Um, you may have to split that up and do some overlap or something, or you may have to maybe short in it. But the other issue is the business day technically closes at five. Right. Um, so, and trying to come in two hours earlier, work two hours late up until that time, may be a challenge. I guess, I mean, we have the ability to change those hours, I guess, if we wanted to, but you know, how receptive would the public be to all that? So th- those are all things that can be discussed. I think that model will work for some things. For some things, it probably won't. And we'll just have to figure out some other ways to be kind of creative and flexible and innovative um, to do all that. I imagine that some, something like maybe like the treasurer's office could benefit from that. Correct. You know, I mean, a lot of stuff can be done online. I don't know if they can do everything online yet, but... It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. I, I don't... I mean, we haven't really discussed that, but I don't think... Anybody that's paying attention at all can't can't infer that technology is going to be a larger part of that equation. Um, you know, I can. It's kind of a primitive system at this point in time. I think the state's going to need to save money much in that same realm, and um, so that's going to be trickling down. I, I can't really give you a time frame on that. I know we do to kind of a text to appointment service, so you can kind of get in that. Um, you can get in that loop and you don't have to spend all that time mid-afternoon or the last day of the month when most people, sometimes including myself, procrastinate on those things. And um, so, yeah, so there, there are some ways I think that that's going to incorporate. I think the biggest deal with all this is it's just attrition. Mm-hmm. And um, I was explaining to this somebody this morning I was meeting with as well that realistically, yeah, you, you want – uh, all your forms of government to work well and be effective and efficient and streamlined. But here it's it, it's just a demographics issue. Um, you got one of the largest um, generations in American history vacating the workforce. And some of them vacated quicker because of COVID. It, but I, this issue was going to happen anyway. 
Um, maybe it wouldn't happen now. Maybe we had a little bit more of a chance to kind of view it, see it, and kind of work ourselves into it. But, yeah, um, economists are talking it could be anywhere from 18 to 25% worth of a gap uh, between you know, the, the baby boomer generation and, of course, Generation Z or Zoomers or whatever they're calling them. Um, so you just don't have that there. So how do you incorporate that? How do you make up that difference but still keep – everything running effectively and efficiently and professionally, particularly with the critical and our emergency services. So those are the challenges laying ahead. I think there are answers to them. They may not be easy. They may not be popular, but there are some answers to that. And um, we're going to be working through that moving forward. All right. Well, uh, again, we got John Ford here, Raleigh County Commissioner, and we're going to take another break here, but we'll continue in focus in a moment here on News Radio KMAN. We're back on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, talking with Riley County Commissioner John Ford here on the program today. And uh, if we've got any phone calls here, we'll take them, 785-537-1350. If you've got a question or a concern, this is a good time to bring those up, and uh, we will uh, certainly try to address those if we can. Um, you know, I know you guys recently got a chance to talk with the uh, legislative delegation yeah. Um, I'm curious if there was anything, any surprises that uh, you heard about or anything that you kind of were prepared to hear from them last week. Surprises from Topeka? Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> no, it was actually good. It's actually um, kind of an extension of what we typically do in the fall and having a full um, – full kind of discussion with all or, or most of them. Of course, that's going to change. I think uh, moving forward, there's going to be five different House representatives representing a bit, a piece of Riley County, and then, of course, um, yeah, our state senators. So, um, no, it was good to follow up. You know, they're in the midst of kind of break, that kind of quick breather before they come back for the veto session and finishing out the budget, and we're just trying to see what their mindset is and, and, and seeing if they're picking up on some of the things that we are trying to work on um, in those legislative matters. Obviously, Dark Store um, is one of those. And um, we're working on a uh, um, noise and abatement act. Um, it's kind of mirrored after Sedgwick County, but the state statute requires us to have to go to the legislature to get some of, get some of those things done that will help with some, some properties that we're just kind of struggling with and uh, just need some extra guidance and some teeth to work through. Um, so we discussed that. They gave us some pretty good information about maybe how to reapproach that to get that from the legislature where it's a little bit more palatable. So we certainly appreciated that. Um, I got the inference that the state statute funds of LAVTR and CCR, there's not really much of an appetite for that. We still need to work on that and understand how important um, those two are to our, our local units of government. Um, this is a year where there's pretty large surplus for many other reasons, not just, you know, for federal funds and stuff that are that are at the state level and kind of trickling down, but just in general. So we really felt like this is the year if you were going to add something to it, this would be the year to do that. But there just doesn't seem to be an appetite for it. So through our state association, through some other people, we need to work on all those things um, a little bit more exclusively and, and, and get them to understand that. So and um, probably need some help from our other uh, 104 counties um, on that as well. Um, you know, we had some other pieces of legislation early. Obviously, the, the bill dealing with sheriffs um, that kind of um, sparked some things. I think it was 2312 or 2311. 
Um, we had several people, including um, uh, Representative Mike Dotson, um, give some testimony on that. And, um, you know, obviously th those aren't matters or issues that are attached to anything that we're doing here, law enforcement. It's really the two larger counties and some issues that are there and kind of stirred the pot on that. So, unfortunately, there were members of that particular committee that obviously have a law enforcement background and long know what we're able to do here and, and, and that consolidated front. So, if we ever, obviously, you know, that's like one of the constitutional amendments I, I believe that's going to be on there. I don't know how that will go. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, there's somewhat of a kind of political struggle with that, that, you know, there's several counties that would rather not have a elected sheriff, but would rather, much like all their department heads, either hire that person or put that person in place through resolution type of means. And that's what stirred the pot there. So it wasn't an issue here um, with what we're doing, but obviously it kind of falls back because of the you know, uniqueness of that situation. Um, most generally speaking, everything else is kind of budget related, and um, we still kind of need to follow that moving forward. So. All right. We, we had a caller here. He, he looks like he dropped off here. Bruce, if you want to give us a call back, uh, we'll, we'll uh, address your question next here. Uh, we're back here on News Radio KMAN's In Focus uh, with John Ford, Rowley County Commissioner. You know, the, that constitutional amendment with the sheriff thing is kind of interesting, though, because um, I, I, people are going to vote on that here, and it's not going to necessarily affect RCPD. But will you, will you be kind of watching that with kind of a curious eye being – you're on the law board? Yeah, I'll probably be watching all the constitutional amendments. I think that um, – I think you can overdo that in an in, in in, in election year. Um, if you have one, maybe two, but, you know, everything that they've discussed, and I know several of them, there's as many as six of them, and I think right now, as far as I know, these are just the two. Now, there's still one in the works of whether or not the governor will veto it, and there's a veto-proof majority in both the House that override it and kind of just playing through the political procedures there, but – um, you put too many on those, I think sometimes you just confuse people. Um, you know, whether or not, you know, I would probably say that, you know, um, in terms of sheriff, you know, I, I think when you use a large amount of your budgets to fund that and the jail is usually included in that and there's administration including in that, it would be of my opinion that it probably should be an elected position, to be honest with you, so that they're held accountable to um, taxpayers much in, much in the light as, uh, you know, in one of the other offices, including, you know, county commissioners or, or city elected officials would be. Um, that that's, that's of my opinion. But like I said, several of the other counties, um, their officials don't necessarily feel that way, and that's what sparked it. I don't think it'll be a problem here because it doesn't actually have to force us to do anything with the sheriff. But if we ever wanted to or wanted to add that or deconsolidation was to happen, then that would be the process that we'd have to go through as a county at that point in time to, to make it work. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly interesting to watch here. We do have a, uh, a caller, it looks like, calling in. Let's see if that's uh, a guy from earlier. Robert. Okay, this is Robert calling. Robert, go ahead. Uh, thank you for widening our thought patterns about the county. Uh, when you're talking about the new North Ambulance site, you know, uh, at the same time you talk about the sheriff, there might be a need to expand that North Ambulance site to include a spot, uh, even if just to do the paperwork. For the uh, for a north area sheriff's officer, luckily we have one or two that live up there for emergency call out. But uh, it's just a thought 
that as long as you're doing the site that you might want to include something there that would be a good opportunity for an expansion there with the sheriff. Thank you so much for your consideration. I might mention a couple of things there. One, there is a substation um, up in the city of Riley currently um, for the sergeant or, or those that are um, working up there. Um, I believe we uh, remodeled that and did that in the fall of 2019, so it's there and available. Uh, sergeant and those people, or whomever is up in the north part of the county, doesn't have to drive all the way into town to do paperwork. They can do all that there, kind of dump it, and then it goes, you know, goes back in. Um, in terms of the North County facility, um, I think as, um, and I probably should just go ahead and mention, we did uh, go through the RFQ process on that yesterday, uh, have chosen Anderson Knight locally to, uh, to to work through that, kind of scored the highest and they kind of had the availability. That was the biggest part of it. There were several other ones that kind of fit all those criteria, but they could get to it and work on it right away. And we also feel that since we are using federal funds, um, for this um, and, and trying to outfit and get the equipment in there that um, we um, try to work with haste to try to keep as much of that cost down as, as possible because it just continues to rise. So um, in terms of extra space there, you know, I think you need to, and I'm sure Anderson Knight will work on this, you need to be um, forward thinking. Um, you need to make sure that there's space there for that first. Um, that's what the facility is. So, you know, not just building it to be able to be used now, but to be used 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Um, we've talked about adding some multi-use space um, in that facility as well. It's just going to kind of depend on cost and whether or not that's going to be appropriate or not. But um, our first goal is to make sure that it's used for um, North uh, County Emergency Services, including ambulance. That is the priority. And if we can, you know, put some kind of multi-use type of space in there that uh, could be effectively used and it's, you know, affordable means, um, you know, we'll talk about it. Not guaranteeing we'll do that, but uh, we can certainly talk about that. And, you know, um, there's some other, you know, community centers. I don't know if Randolph has one, but no Leonardville does. And I know Riley does. So, you know, we can always coordinate some of our services at any given time, you know, potentially at those locations too. So there are some options there. Yeah. So you have that going on at the same time. What's, what's happening with the station at Claflin there? Uh, the consultant that we hired out of Olathe Arch Image, Arch Images, um, towards the end of the month here, I think the 22nd, they may have half the follow-up date, is actually coming into town, going on-site to each one of the locations, kind of seeing where they're at, kind of assessing some of those, I guess, infrastructure and concurrent needs, and then working off of that to see how that incorporates into there. And then the first part of that phase will be kind of the, the size and site where it's going to be planted, what the actual square footage type of things will be, and what should and maybe even shouldn't be incorporated into that. Okay. That's going to be a nice upgrade as soon as it ever it is. comes to fruition. It's, yes, it is. And it's going to be a much-needed upgrade um, on several fronts. Right on. Has there been any uh, – you know, we've been talking about um, historic buildings lately. Last week it was very popular. We had the, the mm -hmm. Pottawatomie County Courthouse was discussed. We had the stuff down in the city downtown with the old Sears building. Yeah, I didn't know the Sears building was considered historic. I, I mean, I know it's old. Right. Um, you know, I had an aunt that worked there at a – 
department, I can't remember what department it was when I moved here in, in 86, and then JCPenney's was just right across the way before the mall came in. So fully aware that it's been there for a long time and what it's been used for, but I didn't know the building itself was considered historic, so I'm still kind of scratching my head on that one. But um, I'm assuming that you're you're leading into the First Christian Church. Yeah. yeah. Um, right now, it, it is an appeals process, so it's kind of good working its way through that process through district court. Um, in fact, we were informed that briefs from all sides of that equation need to have those in, I think, on the 28th of this month. Um, I don't know what their process is going to be. Obviously, courts are kind of backlogged with things right now, but um, I would assume that there would be some tangible decision or direction on that before we get to the end of the year, I would think. Um, not much else has been discussed with that at this particular point in time. Um, I'll just speak from my own framework here, I guess, and this is of my own opinion. If somebody wanted to come in and pay what we bought for it and has a plan for it, um, they could probably purchase it and go ahead and do that. I think the struggle for us is, and our mindset is, we'd like to stay downtown. We'd like to keep our administrative and judicial services downtown. We've actually been there longer than the church has, just for the record. Um, but, you know, if the space isn't available there at some point in time, and I'm not saying it's going to happen in a year or three years, but somewhere down the road, an investment and decisions going to be made on what to do and, and where to go with that. And if that space and that property isn't there, um, it's probably not going to be an option. Mm. It's interesting. It's just, it's just weird how we've got this happening in like three different entities right now. Uh, somebody's got a historic building that's kind of, you know, they're trying to figure out a use for it. So it, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, well, I'll tell you what, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, I'm going to ask you a little bit about air guitars here in a Ooh, minute. Okay. Uh, the, that <laughs> coming up next here on News Radio KMAN. Back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, Brandon Peoples, Nick McNamara, and John Ford here on the program. And before we go any further, I got to know, Nick, Dallas Rattlers, what, what is that? That is a defunct lacrosse team from okay. the Major League Lacrosse. Uh, they were sort of absorbed, eaten by their offspring, the Premier Lacrosse League, a player from the MLL, really famous guy named Paul Rabel, went on to create a new league. And then uh, they very quickly then ate the old league. So oh. there's a player named McNamara on the team. Like I, I just bought the shirt because he has my name. Well, that's cool. I thought because it said 81 on the back that it was like one of the new XFL teams I've had a chance to <laughs> chance to check out just yet. So uh. No, I'm more into the fan-controlled football league if we're getting into like, wacky sports leagues. Gotcha. <laughs> Well, as we uh, continue on here, I know that uh, you guys got an update yesterday from uh, downtown Manhattan, and it sounds like we're going to become kind of the uh, air guitar capital of the world, and it's been floated around that maybe John Ford would get up on stage here at this uh, next event. Hmm. Yeah, you, you just never know. You know, the the interesting thing, you know, uh, during my college days, I kind of banged around on a bass guitar and through little chords here nothing that would be tantalizing to anybody's ear i might say but uh i uh, did i was in the possession of a fender stratocaster for a little while oh, wow. um ended up selling it to somebody who actually put it to good use so you know it is what it is so do know the motions but you know i uh after our conversation yesterday i took some time to pull up some youtube videos on that just to see what it's all about and Man, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how creative you could. I mean, you got to get the motions and stuff of that down first. That might be pretty easy, but you know, to be creative enough. I mean, if you're going to do a competition like that, you got to do it to win it. You know. So I don't know. Maybe a 
uh, I was thinking maybe a plastic drill or something and kind of go off Eddie Van Halen's, <laughs> um, you know, that one song. Um, I can't yeah. remember the name of it from the, oh, yeah. yeah. From the nineties, uh, pound cake. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I was thinking you got me now, but you may be able to do that one too, but gotta be some way to incorporate something kind of cool into that process. And, um, names have been floating around and everything else on that. So we won't make any promises here this morning, but you know, if nothing else, I'll check it out. And, uh, if I like what I see, it could do it next year too. That's Knowing my luck, I'd probably join in on something <laughs> like that and actually win it and then you know have to go to Nationals and do all that, which may be okay because they're talking about that being here too. So if we want to be the air capital, air guitar capital of the of the world, hey, I'm cool with that. Um, I'm, I'm a product of the 80s. I live with that. I live it's, with that. It's, it's, it's my – I like that kind of music. Yeah. I, I really do. I don't know that I have the uh, – I don't think I could get up on stage and do something like that. For one, I don't have the hair. You really have to, and well, you don't have the hair either. But yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm trying to think who would be good at the county level. Who else could get up on stage? It would just be amazing. Clancy Holman would be great on there, I think. Or Rich Vargo. That might be the other one I might go with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he's. I think he's into rock. I think he could do that too. Or you know, maybe I, I don't know what they allow you to do, but maybe you put a band together and you have air bass and and air drums. Um, that was about to be my suggestion. Why don't you get a yeah. little county team together yeah. and, and just take the show over? Yeah. You know who'd be a, a great lead singer though? If you're going to go to Riley County Department, people, Craig Cox. He's got a great voice. He got a great voice. Um, we could talk to Craig about that. Now we actually over in the planning department actually have an actual drummer of a band, so he can kind of work through the motions on that. You know, this there's some possibilities here. There, there's no doubt about it. I think I think Riley County could could, <laughs> could uh, really win this. Wouldn't it be amazing to win a competition in your on your own home turf? I don't know. Do they do like tours and stuff like that? You know, could you make it worldwide and I play in front of seventy thousand people in some place in the UK or Europe, someplace? That'd be cool. I I think you could. I, yeah. I I don't see why not. It certainly was a fun competition last year and kind of a unique thing to to witness. I think it was held in September last year, but you know, I didn't know what to expect, and it was. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, our other commissioner uh, Greg McKinley said that he was there and didn't quite get it, but thought it was kind of cool but that's how those things happen sometimes that's how fads happen it doesn't make sense but it interests your curiosity like it's doing with me just enough to go you know well maybe well no but yeah maybe so yeah maybe <laughs> maybe you never know you never know yeah well certainly would be a, a lot of fun and you know I would say, you know, the the main guy there last year was kind of wearing this loincloth yeah, he had a Don't, name a really cool name too and I Don Voice or something? I don't remember. Um, I actually went back and looked and, and, and caught some uh, images um, on Google. Um, and the plan is he's going to be here again this year, hanging out too. So for all of you that enjoyed, enjoyed that uh, event and that individual last year, um, it's going to be much mirrored like last. So, All right. Well, we have uh, a caller standing by, Ryan, with a more serious question. Okay. So, Ryan, go ahead. Uh, yeah, about a month ago, there was a really bad car accident out near Ogden on South 32nd Street where the, the gal lost control on the gravel road and went in the ditch and hit the tree. But leading up to that, it's really nice asphalt. That was all redone as part of the K-18 uh, restructuring, so to speak, a few years ago. And, you know, I don't. I just don't know if that gravel played a factor. I don't know 
if the floor turns to gravel, if a sign could be put out there on South 32nd Street that says uh, pavement ends or gravel head, because, you know, it, it's really nice through there, and you could be taking that corner at some speed, it's a nice sweeping corner, and then all of a sudden you're in gravel and lose control. So I just, that, that was just kind of wondering if uh, a, gra- a sign could be put out there. I know you guys are running out of time, but. Uh, I don't see why it couldn't. Um, I know KDOT um, was aware of the the accident um, out there, and um, we've had some several issues along the way there, particularly on days where it's kind of snowy and icy and, and everything's kind of elevated or more elevated than it used to be, and um, traffic flows differently here and there. And I believe the individual was not local, if I remember right. She was from out of town. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's something if you don't know that it's there or not used to it being there, um, I could certainly see how that would, um, would co- could cause some issues there and does certainly need to be looked at. Well, on one time we were out that way and a couple of fellows on motorcycles didn't realize it and watched the front end and they went down because they were kind of panicked. So it, it, stuff happened that's happened out there before, you know. So. I think I may uh, be willing to mention that to Public Works and see who's actually – uh, responsible for that, and we can see um, we can see what we can get done. All right, thanks for the call, Ryan. Appreciate it. And you know, on that kind of similar note here, I as we were talking off here, but uh, Amar Lat, we got those new uh, signs that show you how fast you're going. You said that's not a county thing. Well, it's on county access, right. so it's on the county road. But um, a few six weeks or so uh, ago, the city came in and asked us if we could get give them access to put temporary signage up there since that's kind of the natural northern detour right now with um, Kimball being worked on and then the the area in and around um, the stadium over there. So that's why those are up and all the other orange signs up there that kind of direct you where to go and stuff was kind of once again a collaboration between the the city and county to, to make things work as we kind of make those improvements moving through. All right. Well, don't go for the high score there. That's not a that's not what they're intended no, for. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, always good to talk to you. Yes. Thanks a lot for being here. Yes, appreciate it very much. Have a good rest of your week. All right, sounds good. Okay. Stay tuned. Uh, we've got uh, Clark – no, not Clark Howard. Uh, Ken Coleman coming up next here. Boy, that's a throwback there. Blast from the past. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dave Ramsey show after that here on News Radio KMAN.